Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Transperfect Lifestyle Talks. I'm Mark Wade. I'm the practice leader here at Transperfect Life Sciences. Recently, I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Flo Moen, VP of Science at Obvio Health. We talked about DCT, ECOA, and paper COA. Let's take a listen. We've actually talked before, and we've talked about BYOD, and that's the, the, the holy grail right now, DCT and BYOD. Do you think it has, is, is as accepted as it should be right now? I mean, are we doing studies where we should be using BYOD de rigueur? I think there's a lot more desire in the industry to be using BYOD as a method for data captures from participants in clinical trials. I think it can massively reduce burden for certain participants. They don't have to, for example, carry around two devices, so their own device and a provision device for data collection, and especially if it's really frequent data capture for a long period of time throughout the trial. If they just use their own device, that can be way easier. And also they're used to using their own device. However, I think that there's a lot of concern from sponsors around um, whether regulators will accept data that's been captured for BYOD. I think that's um, one of the big challenges at the moment in the industry. And we know that it has happened, but it's just not been publicized. We've only got one really public example, which was the Pfizer COVID vaccine. I, I come from kind of another, another angle where I think about burden. I'm very concerned, Stryker. I am concerned sometimes that the protocol leans very heavily on multiple instruments and leans very heavily on the patient burden. And we have like data to support that patients are less compliant when there is an excessive burden put on them. What do you think of, is the level of burden that we're placing on patients today? And then I want to talk about the different patient cohorts and different TAs that we, we use. Yeah, I think a lot of data collection traditionally has been very focused on site visits, and that can be really burdensome for participants. You know, if we're only measuring patient-reported outcomes at site, then we can end up with really lengthy site visit. And actually, if we can move some of that data capture away from the site into the participant's own environment, that can really reduce the burden of those lengthy visits. No, this is interesting because this is something that, that keeps coming up. And this concept of hybrid, the hybrid model, because there's a number of talks that it's BYOD or nothing. It's BYOD and reduce the, the burden of the patient, reduce the burden of the site. And then I guess where I, where I sit, I think it's a hybrid. You're going to have patient report outcomes, clinician report outcomes, paper. It's going to be all these different modalities. How is that data captured? So this whole hybrid model, what's your feeling on that? I think people think, for example, BYOD is very much focused on remote data capture, and it means that it's solely for the, a decentralized clinical trial. I think there's a misconception in the industry around that at times. But you can use BYOD for remote data capture, but also the participant can bring that device into site and use it while they're at site um, for the capture of PROs as well. Or they can be completing them on a tablet, or if that's how this trial has been set up. There are going to be some studies where paper is still going to be used, and we need to actually embrace that and not, not just exclusively go, we need to be electronic and that's it. I mean, what, what's your thinking on that? Obviously, we know that there's many benefits to electronic data capture compared to paper data capture. But I do think it's about thinking about the trial design. Like That is at the heart of everything. And thinking about what trial have you got in front of you? What therapeutic area? Who's completing the measures? Is it clinicians? Is it caregivers? Is it participants? Where is that data capture taking place? 
and how many measures are there and how many participants? Because if you've got a really rare disease of 20 participants and that are included in your trial and maybe only two patient reported outcome measures, is it really worth setting up an electronic system just for those 20 participants? You know, that's a burden for potentially the participants, for the site as well. They've got a new technology that they've got to become experienced with and be implementing. I mean, obviously, I'm focused on ECOAS. I'm very much an advocate for electronic data capture, but I do think it's all about the appropriateness for the situation. I think that's right. It depends on the study design but uh, and the patient cohort, of course. But I do think that the whole thing that it must be electronic, it cannot be any paper. I think we, we do have to think about that. There are going to be times where, A, it's going to be a patient's own device. B, we're going to provide patient device. And see, there are some times we're going to have to incorporate pay, paper into our study as well. My point, I suppose, three different data modality sources and the challenges therein of that. Yeah, so I think if we're provisioning devices or using BYOD, like you'll always have a mix of that within a trial. Um, not everyone has a suitable device to use and not everyone wants to use their own device. So even if you're adopting a BYOD strategy for your trial, I always recommend that you also have a percent of provision devices for that those patients that I just described. In terms and mixing BYOD and provisioned, I don't think there's concerns around that in the industry anymore. We've seen the literature that shows that there's comparability across electronic modes of data capture. There is more concern around mixing paper and electronic within a trial. And I'm I think there's still some way to go in thinking about how we reconcile those two modes of data capture within a trial. And again, I think it depends on the trial design is it the participant completing the same measure but electronically at home or paper at site in which case you're mixing modes of data collection which is advised against i know there's research going on right now around this mixed modality i suppose i'm I'm kind of i'm kind of thinking around if we back it up a little bit and we talk about like we've proven that the there is no bias introduced moving from paper to electronic so why should there be an issue around capturing data from two different sources? Do you see where I'm going with this? It just it doesn't seem yeah. it seems it seems like that argument should be already laid to rest. I want to change gears for a second because we, we talk about like the, the patient burden, we talk about all these different modalities. I would like to talk about one of your hobby horses, which is this whole accessibility. I think it's fascinating because when I think about patients, I'm thinking about the diversity of the patients in the study to get that data. But you bring up a very, very interesting uh, point around it's not just about the diversity of the patients. It's the accessibility of people that have physical limitations or mental limitations, getting them in the study as well. So can we talk briefly about this? Because it's, it's, it's something that I think has been overlooked. Yes, I think we've obviously got recently the new series of guidances from the FDA on patient-focused drug development, as well as the initiatives around increasing diversity, as you've just mentioned. And I think that's very much focused on who's in your trial population, but doesn't take the next step of actually thinking, what about the modes of data collection within your trial and whether that could have any impact on um, the diversity of the population that you're including? And accessibility is very much the foundation of diversity, equity, inclusion. And if we are using methods of data collection that are inaccessible to some individuals, then I don't think we're really going to be able to 
realize truly an increase in diversity in clinical research. Can you unpack that a bit more for the audience? Because this is more, I guess, physicality that I'm talking about. So perhaps you could unpack that a bit more because... Yeah, so I think if we don't consider that when we're implementing these electronic methods of data capture, that we can implement them in a suboptimal way for certain individuals, then we can end up excluding those participants from trials altogether. So we know that approximately one in four adults in the US has an impairment with mobility, um, a visual impairment, hearing, cognitive impairment, and that can really impact their use of electronic systems for data capture. So we know, for example, um, oncology participants will can quite often experience peripheral neuropathy. So they've got really numb fingers and that can impact how they interact with the technology. Or we've got people who have got visual difficulties. If we don't build our implementations to support screen readers, for example, and then essentially, if we've got electronic data methods within our trial to capture patient reported outcomes, and we are not making them accessible for those populations, then essentially we end up excluding them from trials as well. So just as in the real world, they will be the ones taking the treatment. If we don't include them in trials, you know, that, that has an impact as well. It brings us back. It brings us back to the point we were talking about earlier. Now we're talking about real, real mixed modalities. So we're talking about getting data from patients that are visually impaired or visually compromised in some way. We're talking about patients who already have neuropathy, so they can't actually operate these devices. What does that mean with all these different mixed modalities? So I don't think it's that they can't use the technology. I think it's that we just need to pay more careful consideration into, into how we implement. So, for example, instead of including, you know, in the industry, the best practice is around one item per screen with no scrolling. And if that ends up meaning that we make something so small just to fit on one screen that the buttons for the response options are really tiny, that could be problematic for someone who's got peripheral neuropathy or potentially someone who's got a tremor with Parkinson's or rheumatoid arthritis. So I don't think it means that the technology can't be used by them, but it means that we're not optimizing it for their use. So are feeling conservative around not allowing scrolling means that we could be essentially creating a method of data collection that is inaccessible for those populations. So you have a patient that is visually impaired and they need they need larger largest fonts, let's say. Yeah. What is the what is the solution? Is the solution they should be provisioned iPads or, or tablet type devices? Yeah, that's absolutely one option. I think utilizing a bigger device so we can provision tablets or they can complete the measures if they're doing them remotely on a laptop or on a tablet. But I also think this kind of comes back to the BYOD conversation, because if we let them use their own device, they've chosen that device that's usable for them. They're familiar with it and they will have an, a device that's appropriate to their needs. So if we implement measures on their own device, that can help with that. But I also think the next step is actually how we implement those measures. So I would say that it would be better if we enable scrolling versus making everything fit on one screen um, in a way that it is either unreadable or where the buttons can't be pressed easily. Let's just see, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I find this fascinating. So 
again, I, I, you know, my mother was visually impaired before she passed away. So we had to use a much larger font on her device. And the challenge with that is that things ran off the screen and scrolling was a big deal. And she was, even though she understood the concept of scrolling, she often missed things at the end of the screen because she thought she'd already hit the end of the screen. To me, that is a problem. Yeah. So I think we still need the safeguards in place. So again, that's thinking about really carefully how we implement these solutions. So if you are going to allow scrolling, then you put the safeguards in place where you do not allow that participant to progress to the next item until they have actually scrolled through all of the response options. So you have that safeguard in place when you program your technology. Can that technology, will, will that be across the, the entire spectrum of patients? So in other words, if you have one patient that is, is visually impaired, but the next patient is, you know, has no problem with their eyesight or whatever, they can still use their device. Can you still have the same logic across both? So I think at the heart of accessibility is ensuring that you're making your solutions accessible for all. So if you cover all of your bases in terms of thinking about people with visual impairments or hearing difficulties, dexterity issues, if you optimize solutions for them, then it will it will cover those who don't have those difficulties sure. as well. Back to the scrolling thing. I mean, I, I, your point is very well taken. It's all around the design of the solution. Right? I mean, your point is well taken. The scrolling thing, I'm probably overly conservative because I still remember a time where scrolling, scrolling was, well, well it, it introduced a bias. It introduced a bias into the instrument. Do you remember that? Right? So I'm still very conservative, I suppose, in those, in those ways. But I think I've got to grow up because most people understand the concept of scrolling. Yeah, I think we don't give people enough credit i think especially the um eco industry and participants use of these technologies it, it's a balance we want to ensure that we are maintaining the integrity of the measures and that we are ensuring that the data that we capture is as high quality as possible but i also think technologies progressed a long way and we get very focused on well this is the way we've always done it if we allowed scrolling participants might respond in a different way they might not know that they need to scroll but if we think about general technology use scrolling is part of most of the apps that we all use I think we don't give participants enough credit that they would know how to scroll and that it's not going to create massive issues with the data we're collecting. And arguably, if it's making it more accessible, it could actually lead to higher quality data. You know, your point is well taken. I mean, I, I still, I'm, I, I think I'm a remnant of the past where we always looked for in introducing anything like this. We always looked for: Are we introducing some kind of bias? Are we introducing? You know, Paper was the gold standard, and imperfect gold standard was the gold standard, and we were like always worried about introducing something foreign into it. Um, so you're right; your point is very well taken. I mean, we're not giving patients or subjects near enough credit for being able to scroll. Your point is all down to the study design, designing the study to in include a lot of these patients that are, have different needs than, I guess, general population type patients. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's probably also goes back to when we're actually creating our measures as well. And for example, a lot of times instruments will use capitalization as a form of emphasis on certain words within their measures, but that's not appropriate for screen readers. If you have a screen reader going over capital letters, it just 
it doesn't pronounce the word as a whole. It just um, says each individual letter. So it also goes back to when we're actually creating the measures as well and thinking about ensuring that we are creating them in an accessible way as well. Colour is another good example. If you start introducing colours and you've got people who are colourblind in your study, then that's going to pose an issue as well for when you're capturing that data. And what do you think of like pictograms? That's another hotbed of discussion. Should we be using more Instagrams? That's probably an one to think about as well, because if you've got a screen reader, how will that read that picture? Yeah. Um, so you'd need to really think about how that's programmed. And I think these are definitely things that the industry needs to start thinking about more, especially as electronic implementation is way more commonplace. That's not to say that um, electronic implementations are, this is a problem that's unique to them. You know, we'd see this on paper as well, but actually we've got a real opportunity to optimise with electronic that we don't have with paper. So I think all of these conversations and starting to think about how we would implement those types of things electronically are, are really important. I think that's very refreshing uh, to hear that actually, the whole uh, chance here to optimise because I, I've got to be honest, I don't think that we come from that angle. I think we come from how do we just get this onto an electronic device and get the patients filling it in accurately and getting us the data. I, I think it's very well taken. I'm going to ask you one last question, if I may. Um, so if you had a magic wand, it's, this is how I end all my, my podcasts. If you had a magic wand and you could wish for something that would change either in the industry, in the, in the, with the, the regulators, whatever it is, what would that be? I think we've got a real opportunity now to think about changing the narrative in clinical trials. So we talk a lot about patient centricity, but I think we need to actually show that we're doing the work to really realise that. We've very much focused as an industry on conserving the measurement properties of an instrument when we go from paper to electronic. And I think we've now got enough literature to really have confidence in that and that we are maintaining those measurement properties. And there's an upcoming ISPO task force report, which really brings all of that together. And I hope and I think that that will be a turning point for the industry with regard to comparability testing. And we can maybe stop having those conversations as much. And now we have the chance to actually think, okay, we're confident in our electronic implementations, but how do we now start really optimizing them for all individuals and change the narrative from that primary concern and focus on negatively impacting the measurement properties to actually how can we ensure that the solutions we're implementing are suitable for all individuals? You know, we're working in clinical trials. These measures are meant to be for certain therapeutic populations and yet our data collection methods at some you know sometimes can potentially make them unusable for those exact populations the evolution of thought i love it thank you so much though today i was talking to dr flo mold the senior director of ecoa and science solutions i'm mark wade thank you for joining me today for transperfect life science talks thanks Flo.